<laughs> Hello and welcome. Wait. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Third time. Hello and welcome to. Okay. I just want to yeah. be like comfy, right? So I think I'm going to sit yeah, on yeah. the couch and snowing. I'm going to sit on the couch. Amazing. <laughs> My feet covered. <laughs> yeah, totally. Now we're just a couple buddies chatting. Okay. Hello and welcome to Two Two Guys, a podcast about dance hosted by dancers. My name is Keelan, and today on the show I have Thomas Fonua. Welcome to the show, man. Hello, Ron. How you going? Hey, Keelan. How you doing? I'm great. Uh, we had a snowstorm last night, so I oh, know uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it, it it feels just like Christmas. Like <laughs> we started the podcast right around Christmas, and so it was always like this, and so it's really wow. a throwback to like deja vu. Yeah, yeah. Um, amazing. I, I was thinking about this last night. Like, are you a Tom? Are you a Thomas? What do you prefer? Yeah, oh, it depends. It depends on it depends on who's asking. Um, usually, like with close friends and family, it's Tommy, which is like a uh. just a, you know, like it's it's more like a what people have called me since I was little. Uh, most people call me Tom or Thomas um, or Queen Kong when I'm in yeah. drag. So yeah. <laughs> depending on on the situation. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> what should I call you? Is it up to me? Yeah, you can call me. We've known each other for ages, so no. whatever, whatever you're comfortable with. Like when I think of you, I don't think of the name Tom or Thomas. It's more like I think of you. I think all three names. I'm like that's Thomas Charles mm. Fanua. Like <laughs> I think of you as like an entity. You know? Um, yeah, but I'm definitely definitely an entity. <laughs> that's for sure. I'll take it. Um, am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Yeah, it's perfect. Fanua. It's great. Fanua, yeah. Yeah, it's a Pacific Islander name. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so my father is Tongan, and so the name is from Tonga, the Kingdom of Tonga, and South Pacific. And my mum is from Samoa. So, um, the two little islands in the South Pacific. If I found out you're actually royalty in one of these places, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, I don't know about royalty, but oh, yeah. Again, I'll take it. <laughs> that would be a good backstory, actually, for Queen, right? Queen story, actually, Queen Kong comes from the rugby field. That name, was, that was my nickname in high school. And I used to play rugby because I've always been a really big bitch. And I was really good at taking people down. And I was a queen. So people called me Queen Kong. <laughs> wow. I look forward to the documentary about your life. Like, I'm going to enjoy watching that when that happens. Um, hopefully, hopefully later, not soon. <laughs> you know, some people write autobiographies when they're like 28 or 29 you know like they write them oh early. i know yeah you could you could yeah. do one you've got enough material for one of those oh my god absolutely i just would uh, i don't know i feel like i want to live more you know like and i guess especially as an artist like the good the, the amazing thing about being an artist is being able to um use your platforms and especially the stage to exercise you know everything that happens to you like it's it's the safest space for trauma which sounds really mm -hmm. kind of tragic and you know um romanticized and really indulgent but it really is it's a safe space to really work through some bullshit and and unpack bags so i don't know it's, it's mm -hmm. kind of my specialty so mm -hmm. definitely lived a lot a, a lot for my 28 years on the this planet but excited to live another 28 and more <laughs> and yeah. continue i guess in a way that the work you've been doing on stage is kind of your autobiography like it's the way totally. you're processing it yeah absolutely so we've known each other for i don't know when, when did you come to canada like what, what year was that I think the year that we met in Toronto was 2013, maybe even, yeah, I think it was 2013. And so you yeah. were 21, is that right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about 21. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. And you were here working with Red Sky. Yes, Red Sky Performance. Yeah. So my first introduction to you was you were here dancing and I got to see you dance and you are really like the real deal. You're an artist. Thank you. But you were also here doing these other things too. I think you were helping them run the company and rework some things. Yeah. So Red Sky, uh, we had received some grant funding and I, and I think maybe a little background on me. So I started dancing when I was about, well, professionally started dancing when I was about 16 and with a company called Black Grace Dance Company. Um, and so my first full-time gig started at 16 years old. So I actually had to finish my high school schooling uh, while I was in my first two years at Black Grace Dance Company while we were performing and touring. So mm-hmm. I ended up staying with the company for about five years and I was introduced to Sandra Laurent, who was the director of Red Sky Performance. And um, we quick, she met me when I was about 17. And so when she met me, she was just had this belief in me from like day dot of going, he's going to be an incredible artist and I would love to help mentor or just be a part of this journey to facilitate and create space for this person. And so when I'd left the company at 21, I took Sandra up on an offer. We applied for a grant together and uh, we coined this artistic associate role for Red Sky Performance, which is where she could bring in um, guests, not only artists, but people that are more inclined to sit in director role or in a role that is more on the other side of the studio somebody that is more inclined to creating or um, producing or you know all of the other business side of things when it comes to the arts so I took up on that offer we I was in her office with her and sort of went through the process of learning how the nuts and bolts and work in that machine of a dance company or an institution so it was my first real opportunity to investigate yeah an organization, a non-for-profit organization and and see how it worked from that perspective so that I could continue to, you know, build what I've been building for the past uh, seven years since I've met you. So that was what I was doing when I was, yeah, in, in Toronto the first time I met you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also like, uh, I, I just started my master's in business. Uh, my master's, so I, I got my bachelor's degree when I was at Black Grace because I received my first major injury um, when I was about 17, my first knee injury, which put me out for a season of six months. And so because I'm such an overachiever, I decided to pick up a part-time study and I got a bachelor's undergrad in economics business. And so after that and, and leaving Black Grace and joining Red Sky and seeing uh, the leadership capacity that's needed to exist as a director or a leader of an organization it made me really interested in taking up a master's in cultural leadership. So I started my master's while I was um, with Red Sky as well. So yeah, a little, little bit of a thing that I've been doing and now I'm doing my PhD, which is actually just something I just started this year. So I finished my master's last year and, and now into a PhD. <laughs> That's so cool. And that struck me right away when we met. I was like, wait, sorry, what? You're 21, you're doing all this stuff? What? And then I was 24 at the time and I was like, I thought I was doing a lot, but you're doing like a lot. Um, so the, my hope today is to speak to you about dance as a platform for self-expression. Some people might think dance is obviously self-expression. You can't get away from that simply by moving your body. It has to be. But I think a lot of people, especially in the ballet world, would argue that dance is really more about fitting into the mold that already exists, right? And so in your career, uh, your life, your personal journey, it's looked like there has been an arc towards self-expression, like the moth 
to the light. You are moving towards that, but then there have been obvious and pretty severe obstacles. And maybe we can, we can just explore that because if we can extract any insight, then perhaps I can help other people who are looking to find, whether through dance or other ways, mm. forms of self-expression of their own. In terms of what you're talking about, an arc, an arc towards self-expression, I think the biggest thing as a performer or as an artist, something to strive for or something to focus on more or less is point of difference. And I guess for myself, I've always been aware of my point of difference. That being I'm an artist of colour, Pacific descent, and that that is huge in terms of expression, what we're talking about where I'm from and where I was raised in Samoa and Tonga, but also raised in New Zealand, dance and music is ceremonial. So, you know, men sing and dance, and it's also, it's a rite of passage. So none of our history is written down. Um, like I couldn't Google Samoan history and go looking through archives that are written away. It's all um, hand down through rite of passage. So tattoo, traditional tattoo, there are talking chiefs in every village that hold in their brain, like the stories of our people and song and dance is a huge part of that transfer from generation to generation. And so my awareness of expression comes from my understanding of this is my modern version of storytelling. You know, it's, it's my opportunity to continue a legacy that extends way before me, you know, a long line of, of people that are using me as a mouthpiece, especially in my platforms of dance and art. That, that expression, it's, it's always been inside me because it's bigger than me, if that makes sense, um, because of my point of difference. And I guess I was lucky because starting chronologically, I think starting with Black Grace Dance Company, it is a Pacific contemporary dance company. So I was really fortunate to be introduced to a hybrid um, Western meets Pacific Indigenous work and knowing the protocol that goes into creating Indigenous contemporary work uh, in a really right, equal and ethical way. Yeah, it really set me up in a really good way before, you know, moving on to all the other mainstream companies that I've worked for and not really getting the same treatment, if that makes sense. Just so the people at home have a sense of it, what are the companies you've worked for? Yeah, work for Black Grace Dance Company in New Zealand, um, done work with Australian Dance Theatre in Australia, which is um, the oldest contemporary dance company here. Worked with Red Sky Performance, done a bit of work with City Library Chikawi over in Europe, uh, Akram Khan, and Sydney Dance Company as well. So a bit of freelancing and working with lots of different people. Yeah, those are the two major theatres, uh, at least in Australia, those are the two major contemporary theatres, right? Yes, absolutely. So... How big would you say the idea of self-expression is? Like how integral is that day-to-day for you? Huge. You know, like self-expression is huge. And I, I guess it's, it's, I don't really think of it as a thing for me because I'm so used to just, say, for example, with clothing, like the, the, the mm. very essential walking out of the door. Like I just dress how I feel. I, um, and, you know, some days if I feel like, like blowing down a lace front wig and walking out of the house with a long fucking 40 inch ponytail. I'll just do that because it's a, that's how I feel in the moment. Um, but yeah, self-expression is huge. I guess it's, it's something that um, I use many facets of my creativity, not only just in terms of dance, but just in the way that I live my life, like um, and how I see things, how I listen to things. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's huge. I, everything that I do is really expressive and I'm just such a big emotionally expressive person as well. So I don't know, there's so, so many ways that I show that kind of, um, that I expel that energy of expression. 
the connection with your native history, like the your your country of origin and the traditions of your people, it's interesting that it isn't mm. written down. It's passed on, like it's passed on through tattoo, through dance, through song, and so it's passed on like energetically. I think right, like rather than just documented extensively, it's passed on. Like there's the act of actually passing it on. And I wonder if that, as a framework, when you're young, has influenced the way you view the world now, right? Where it's, definitely, yeah, absolutely. Because because you need to keep it alive. You know what I mean? Like you need to engage with things, and in order to engage with it, you actually you actually have to show up. So maybe you're watching The Big Bang Theory, but even when you're watching that show, you're exploring. Okay, well, what do I have to bring to this moment? You know, rather than just a passive viewer. Absolutely. So if self-expression is so important and it's in some ways, it's the goal, right? It's how do I fully connect with who I am, what I'm feeling, and then find a way to express that. What would be the opposite side of that? You know, in the absence of self-expression, what do you feel? What's the mirror image to self-expression for you? I actually don't know the answer to that question, to be honest, because I've, I've never not allowed myself to express myself, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so... I've never really experienced uh, an opposite. I think I've, I've always been fortunate. From And this is not only talking about working professionally. I think from day dot, because of how immersive my culture is, and it's a way of life, a lifestyle, um, from zero to like now, there's always been a form of expression. Um, I, I don't really know any other ways other than than how I live my life or how I see mm-hmm. things or, or feel things. So, yeah, I don't know. Like immediately when you said that question, I said depression because <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like it would probably be very depressing and gray and colorless. And yeah, I don't know. I've never really experienced a life like that. Thankfully. I wonder then if maybe it doesn't have an opposite. It only has um, silencing and, you know, it's like, uh, if water is flowing and it can't flow, it doesn't become the opposite of water. It just doesn't move, but then it becomes stagnant. And it's like, what are we doing? Aren't we supposed to yeah, be totally. flowing downhill? Um, so I, I want you to explain later what black grace is. Cause I just, you know, just take 60 seconds, explain how it works to people. Cause I don't think people get how physical it is. So we'll, we'll come back to that. So right now you've just had what? two shows at the in like fringe explain you, you've got a mm. couple shows right now happening in australian fringe oh so we had the adelaide fringe like a month ago and and in the four and a half weeks i did 107 shows <laughs> across four and a half weeks which was seven different productions and we just finished a season here in melbourne at the melbourne comedy festival and, and opened a season like we finished two days ago our last season and then just opened a new season today which is it's, it's just like a you know it is it's it's the cycle that you just have to jump on when work is coming and I guess because I'm so I'm such a boss at <laughs> lining things up it's like you know you have to plan things in advance and sometimes you plan so far ahead that you know in hindsight you're like oh you'll be fine you'll be absolutely freaking fine and then it gets push comes to shove and you're just like you're fine but you could really do with a break <laughs> you know what I mean but I don't know this lifestyle is so short you know our, our careers as dancers especially at the an elite level or for me anyway i can't i, I don't want to be a martha graham as much as i love her i don't want to be dancing until i'm 80 by that point i want to be i want to have two houseboats and like be drinking cocktails like you know sailing in the bahamas i don't want to be working at 83 years old yeah. <laughs> on stage 
do not want to be doing that. But, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I guess this kind of rock style lifestyle is very short-lived. So you just make the most of it while you can. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, so, you know, if we're talking, okay, so if this is good, self-expression and the opposite side is depression, right? We say the absence of the ability to self-express freely is a form of depression, right? Yes. So in one's haste to strike while the iron's hot and, and say yes to things, and you make plans for 18 months in advance. And then that 18 months rolls around and you look and you're like, oh yeah, I got to go choreograph another piece and I'm just spent right now. In a sense, you limited your own ability to self-express because what you'd really like to do is just hang out and watch Netflix with your boo for a month or something, but you can't. <laughs> and so I wonder, do you ever find that you take on so much or simply the choices you make, you actually limit your own freedom and that leads to this kind of depression thing? Oh, freedom. Yes. Not, it doesn't link to depression for me. Cause I think I'm one of those people that like, when I, I crave to get a day off, but when I have the day off, all I want to do is work. <laughs> it's like, it's like a catch 22 thing for me. Like, I guess like I, I do, I, I get to points where I'm so overwhelmed with how much work that I've set up for myself. Um, but I also just love the thrill of um, operating off of three hours sleep a night and just running with it. It's so, it's so bad for me, but so good for my mental health it's just the pattern that i've gotten used to of just being able to do a hundred million things at once and just like you know freaking out sometimes but then also going this is great (laughs) this is awesome i really love it i actually would have it no other way because when i do get space and time to schedule time off i literally do not know what to do with myself say for example i go Actually, I was smart and I give myself like three, four days, maybe a week if I'm being really indulgent. Like it'll start off on the first day of just sleeping and eating really bad food. Tuesday will have like the second day will come and I'll start to feel a little bit good and feel rested. Wednesday will come and then I start getting anxious about what I'm missing out on and just feeling like I'm wasting time. And then there's just the spiral that happens to me where I just go, oh my God, I should be doing something or, you know, I'll clean the house or I'll... You know, I, I just, I'm such a busybody. And I guess the backstory for that, not only because of myself, like I come from like a really working class family where I watched my parents work like absolute dogs, you know, to try and get get us into spaces. And I guess in some ways I've really p- picked up some habits from from um, watching my mum my and my dad work. But also there was a, a, a huge degree of sacrifice that went into me being able to take a position like Black Race Dance Company, being a Pacific person. Um, where I'm from, um, not many people break out of the area that I'm from. You know, like there was no uh, examples of Pacific excellence on TV anywhere. The only, the closest association was Dwayne The Rock Johnson and then rugby. You know, th- those are the two clear avenues. And then right. everyone else just ended up working in factories. So I guess for me to be able to take a position like Black Coast Dance Company, which is a leading contemporary dance company in New Zealand and in the world, it meant that people like my sister, my brother, my mum, my dad had to really hold down the fort and sacrifice themselves so that I could do what I wanted to do. And so, you know, there's a lot of things that I do for myself, but there's also lots of things that I do for those people that actually were, were the beneficiaries of, um, you know, of me helping, helping me realize my potential and, and letting me go for it. Um, selflessly so i don't know it's 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 a real catch-22 thing for me where if i feel like i'm resting i feel like i'm letting people down (laughs) or yeah wow you know like when you lose your wallet or you think you did and it's like horrible 
Like it's like, it feels really bad. And then yeah. you find it and you're like, oh, and it feels like for a second, it's like, great. And then you leave the house, you go catch your bus, whatever. Yeah. It's not equal. Like it's not even, right? Mm. The, mm. The, the bad feelings of, I think I lost it, don't get equaled by the, oh, look, I found it. Now I'm going to be happy for the next 45 minutes. Like it's, it's really just, I felt like terrible for a while and then I felt good for a moment and then I'm neutral again. Do you find that when you do all this work for a show, for example, or the podcast you have, like all these things you're running, do you get joy from them that is anywhere equal to the amount of effort you've put in? Or is it more like, okay, I got it. Ring a bell, move on. Cause I certainly, Ooh, it depends. I feel like I'm pretty good at working, mm. not great at enjoying like mm. the actual spoils of my work of like the, Hey, you know, that goal you've had for your entire life that you just achieved. Can you just enjoy it? And it's like, no, not really. I need to set a new goal. Mm. Yeah. Like I, I, I totally hear you. And I guess if you spoke to me two years ago, I would have been exactly what you're saying going, you know, I, it was, I was just really addicted to the hustle and not allowing myself the space and time to actually um, celebrate achievements and, and, you know, landmarks. Whereas, when I was working at major companies, I never celebrated anything because I actually didn't feel so connected to the work, to be completely honest. Performing was great for me. That was my celebration. Or the, you know, you, you rehearse for hours and hours and weeks to do one hour on stage. And that one hour that every, every time we got to tour and perform was my, my um, reward, you know, being able to get on stage and actually just feel like a fucking god and actually command a space and those those are the the moments that i got to celebrate but at no point did i ever feel like you know oh my god we did this amazing season in edinburgh oh we did that amazing season and like in paris you know we get to tour to, to the to europe like twice three times a year um the u.s as well those those were never big achievements for me because it was never about me whereas like um when i make my own work you know when i'm taking up my own goals like when i finished my master's um when i um, premiered my first major full-length work like when I was fucking 22 like these big landmarks those were things that I actually gave myself time I actually felt the reward of going fuck yeah I did that that was really really good I deserve a pat on the back for that because it actually meant a lot to me you know whereas working in companies the work that we make is important and it's it's, it's exciting but as an artist working under another artist you don't always believe in the subject matter that you're making, but you're there to work and there to help create something that's for somebody else's vision. So as much as I was never like completely 1000% connected to what the, the artist was wanting, um, when I did have the opportunity to make work that I was really passionate about, that payoff was like two times or 20 times what I had ever experienced, you know, dancing um, for some of the, the companies that I've worked for. So I don't know, like, uh, and and I think since like two years ago, it's it's been more about me creating more spaces for my work and what I want to do, working opportunities, how I want to work, redesigning what it looks like to work for myself, so that I'm not just locked down to one job. I'm doing you know six different things at once. Like, it, it's really um, allowed me time and space to actually go to enjoy myself while I'm working, as opposed to just hustling, you know, and. 
and feeling lucky because the thing that I really get annoyed and it's something a pet peeve of mine actually is when people are like, oh, you're so lucky to work in the arts. Oh, you're so lucky to tour. Oh, you're so lucky to do this. I'm like, right. it's not luck, bitch. It's like, it's full, it's hard work, you know, and, you know, a few of us get to really, you know, exist in these spaces if we're lucky. So, I don't know, you have to work like a absolute dog to get, you know, a bone. So, I don't know. Yeah, the past few years, I've been really allowing myself to pat myself on the back, take myself up for a drink, or go out with friends, and go, "Yeah, we're amazing. We did that." Also, <laughs> let's do it again. <laughs> right. I think of the Sabbath day. Right. Mm. I'm not going to assume that you experience things the exact same way I do, but I'm guessing there's some overlap, you know. And I've witnessed in myself an imbalance, um, almost an inability to stop and be just chill and be okay and appreciate the work that's gone in you know and the achievement whatever it might be it's like you work so hard Mm. when does the happy part come totally because i'm so busy on the working hard part totally you talk about your day off you start to feel weird my day off was always my worst day of the week because i'm like what do i do though like yeah literally instagram for four hours youtube like what do i do with my time like i all I know how to do is work. And so if I get a day off, I don't know what to do. It was also like the, the really like bad thing of just going, okay, there's a day off tomorrow. So let's go and get absolutely wasted, you know, <laughs> like yeah. really unhealthy habits that actually really don't serve you. But I don't know. Again, it's a lifestyle that's really short. So you just make the most of what you have. Okay. So maybe we can talk about a couple of extreme examples here. And so maybe that would look like Queen Kong on one side and your experience with your last company when you left on the other side sure amazing um so i guess yeah with um you know the most extreme form of self, self-expression and I, like i say extreme but I, I guess it's more what it's done to me this new um exploration as an artist if anything it's given me more tools in my toolkit is drag drag's been an incredible investigation of not only my perspective as an artist but it's, it's really fine-tuned and opened my eyes and perspective to embrace lots of the things that were kind of problematic about me growing up or that I thought were problematic about me growing up. If anything, it's really led me on this path of reclaiming, um, you know, femininity, which is huge, uh, especially as a Pacific male. And, you know, the Pacific community, like most other Western communities and just this world, is very patriarchal. And patriarchy is obviously a system that favors one sex and really looks down on the other. So being brown, but also queer, you know, growing up in a, in a religious freaking household, there were lots of rules and limit, limitations. There, there, were, there was definitely a degree of shape-shifting that happened with me. Um, lots of changing and morphings into different shapes that never really felt nice, but really were suitable for people like my father and my father's family, all to do with pride and ego. Um, as a 28-year-old male, you know, the past four or five years, I've been exploring the lexicon of drag. And yeah, it's been an incredible um, journey of, you know, not only feeling the empowerment of um, reclaiming this big part of me, because I'm a huge emotional artist, but I'm also very maternal. I guess my nature is very, uh, I'm very fluid. I have a a huge degree of femininity in me. Like I, I am very fluid. 
um, performatively. I can, I'm quite sensual when I'm performing as well as, you know, masculine and strong. But my idea of strength, if I think about it now, and especially after the explorations that I've been doing, um, it's been the women in my life that taught me how to be a man. So the, that feminine approach, the maternal hearing, nurturing, nourishing way of leading has really um, arrived at me creating this character, Queen Kong, who is, um, which is a name that I reclaimed from high school, which was something that people tried to bully me with, which I actually really loved because mm. I am a queen and I'm a big gorilla. So, and drag, <laughs> like you see, like I would be scared of a drag my size chasing you down the street. I'm just like seven feet tall and drag and I'm stacked. <laughs> I'm a big, big, big woman. So I don't know, like it's, it's, it's in terms of extreme expression, I guess that's like, it's expression in its pure, purest form because it's um, not only helped me to make peace with things that were really problematic, but it's really helped me to um, um, identify what my power is. And it's not in my stance. It's not in my physicality. I am very physically strong, but my strength comes from my ability to hold space, my ability to hear, to love, to um, listen, you know, all these qualities that are innately very strongly female, you know, it's, it's something that I learned from my mother, my aunties, my sister, my grandmother, all these strong Polynesian women who just held space for me to be the princess, prince, king, queen that I am. So drag's been a really amazing opportunity for me to explore the best and worst parts of myself as a person first and foremost before even looking at it as an artist and what I've been able to do with that journey is you know create a business uh, but first and foremost create a house should wait can we pause for a second I'm we'll just we'll, we'll go into all this but I just wanted to respond to that there so that yes I think people listening at home now might understand why I'm so enamored with you just mm. hearing you speak about this and your journey I think it's it's all self-evident now for those who don't know what you look like, and I'm going to you know, put pictures of you on the Instagram and everything. So everybody has a reference. Yeah. You are sculpted. Like you're a, like <laughs> you, you have a, a man's body and it's, it's detailed and defined and strong yet. I've seen you move and your description of the interplay between masculinity and femininity, this softness and this nurturing and this maternal nature, I can see it in your movement. Right. So like you have this body, which wouldn't look out of place, you know, in a rugby gear. But when you move, there is this grace. And I love that. And that's part of why I'm so amazed by you is you live at this intersection of these two really, really strong dynamics of this powerful man who is so soft spoken and caring and deliberate and considerate in his movements. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, <laughs> wanted to have my, say that, say that piece before, before we move on. So, uh, mm -hmm. with that said, uh, yes, you've this, this character uh, is character the right word. Is that okay? I, I think about queen as a separate person to me, even though she's an extension of who I am. And, and the reason why I think of her as someone separate is because it really compartmentalizes her and keeps her in a space that protects me. And the reason why I say that is because the feeling that you feel when you are in drag, and it is the case for most people, like there is, there's something that happens that there's definitely a transformation that happens to you, but it's very easy for you to, um, to get mixed up and to say, for example, I'm not very happy with Tom today. And <laughs> my Tom's mental health isn't the greatest. It's very easy to just go, Queen's getting so much love. 
Queen is amazing. Let's just go and be Queen. You know, it, it's so easy to, to get the two mixed up if you're if you're putting them together in the same car. You know, Queen has to be in the back seat and Tom has to be in the driver's seat. That's the way that I have to think about it. Um, okay. It just keeps you in a, in a healthy space because it is like changing hats, but it is, for me, it's, it's not a character because it's not somebody different. It's definitely me, but it's it's just an extension of what I am. If anything, it's like my superhero, if that makes sense. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> And I guess what, what I've been able to do with that expression and especially with, with what it's done for me is I've been able to create a house um, for young or emerging youth in the queer communities. But also we create events. I have a house of Kong, which is a business, but we it's also a house of a chosen family network. And I have about 22 drag babies where I mentor them. I look after them. You know, some of them get kicked out of homes. Some of them, um, I've helped them through sex work. You know, I've got them off the streets, gotten them into uni, really helped them clean up their act. And what it boils down to is it's just really creating or, or trying to affect change in our community by leading with love, you know. And, and the thing about a queer community especially is there's a lot of trauma that happens because for queer people, trans, you know, non-binary, bisexual, like all the, the whole spectrum of our community, it's very difficult because not all of us come from families that know how to love us and accept us. And for those of us that don't have that um, luxury, you know, this chosen family network is something that's very important for us. Otherwise, you know, you don't feel like you have a place. And when you don't feel like you have a place or, that, or you have value, you see it. You see a spiral in people and, and um yeah, it's just, it's just not 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 great. We're all human beings. So um, I've created this house. Like I was a part of a house growing up and, you know, I hold space as a house mother. Um, I look out for my babies. So I make sure that they're safe, you know, and I, and I just get them to a space where, where I can help them realize their potential, their talents, what, what they have to say, their point of difference, everything that people have done for me along my journey, you know, to be as successful and, and, and to go on and achieve as much as I've achieved. Like it's just paying it forward and creating a better space for people to exist in, but also helping people realize, you know, what happens to us outside of all, all of these doors is not always the greatest things, but there are healthy ways to exercise those big feelings, you know, other than alcoholism and drugs and, you know, mm. all kinds of addictions. So the House of Kong was really first and foremost designed to create a space for our young community and then just branched into a space where we've created all of these events for different parts of our community to express you know, it's the thing that we're talking about, expression, mm -hmm. you know. Um, healthy, healthy forms healthy of expression. expression. Yeah, and in a safe space, like it's, it's the biggest thing, creating a safe space where we all take responsibility and holding the roof up and this, this term holding space for each other, it's something that we really practice. It's our mantra. First and foremost, it takes a village. That's one of the things we live by because, you know, it's a, it's, it takes a village, you know. I can't solely hold the roof up over everyone's head because it's not sustainable. And then when I get tired and the roof comes, my arms drop down, the roof comes down on all of us. So, you know, it's, it's, it's being very aware of boundaries, creating boundaries for each other, loving and respecting each other, respecting the space that we share, all of these values and principles that are so important, um, not only um, as artists, but it's just as people. So uh, it's, it's something that I've been able to, to do along my journey with drag uh but so yeah so yeah so queen kong was definitely some something that really changed my life and actually saved me in many many ways so it's only natural to be able to pay that forward to other people i love that how so 
we're all layered beings. I like to think of myself as at least 12 different people. Right. Um, and it, it, you could even look at it as it's thousands. Like um, that's how inner conflict happens. Right. Where you're like, well, I, I, I want two opposing things. Like we are multi-layered, multi-dimensional beings, I think. So queen, she, you, you recognize there's something in you that isn't being voiced, isn't being spoken you give yourself permission to explore. I think permission is probably one of the first things, right? To allow yourself to dive in. In giving yourself permission to explore, you create kind of like a new artist. You, you're not just Tom, you also get to be queen and she performs differently, right? She has different things to say and she moves in a different way and she's got to do... So now you've got a whole nother avenue of, for forms of expression and because you are who you are and you're so skilled and, and high achieving, you make something of that people like. And then you take that further and you leverage that into creating a form of revenue and a form of support for other people. And so now you create a home for others. So in allowing yourself to express yourself, you've got House of Kong, you've got people that you're helping, people who like yourself who, who needed the help when they're young, you know. I love that. I think that's so cool. The thing that was vulnerable that might've been made fun of in you and, and squashed down when you feel comfortable enough and you give yourself permission to explore it and go into that vulnerability, it has value for you directly, but then also you get to share that with other people, right? Taking the thing that you're afraid to say, afraid to show people and putting it out in the world and then letting that rain prosperity on others is beautiful. Yeah, it's really, oh, thank you, my love. It's just, you know, like, my, my goal, especially with the house, was, like, you know, I can only imagine, say, for example, the 22 babies that I have, they go off and they create their own houses, you know, and have 22 babies of their own. Like, slowly we'll start to see, like, not only a bit of community, but just, like, a bit of way of living. And, you know, part and parcel of, like, what I've been studying with cultural leadership, and especially this investigating this idea of lateral leadership and, and, and uni and writing about it, which is a really indigenous style of leadership where elders exist on the same level and they all arrive at a decision together that's something that i really try to you know utilize yes i'm the mother of the house but there's also people that are working with me so i'm not the only one having to hold space but also not, not the only person that makes the decisions inevitably it's just about creating better ways to live and safer space to exist you know it's important to go through things and obviously we all experience horrible shit but there are always like ways to process you know holding on to things that have happened or burying emotions you know that, that's what it is you're burying live emotions when you don't speak about it when you don't express yourself when you don't get it off your chest you're burying live emotions that will just come out in really really bad ugly ways later on in life so yeah i don't know it's it's, it's all these things that i've been really investigating in my own journey towards healing and you know self-discovery so it's only right that you know, I transfer that knowledge on and, you know, continue these conversations with people that are going through the same. So, you know, that's a really good example of when extreme expression is, is something that does something really therapeutic. Is there an obvious example you'd like to share with us that is kind of the antithesis of the self-expression, something where you've felt very much not able to be yourself, you felt uh, stifled, uh, you know, silenced? Yeah. And uh, if so, you know, what did you learn from that? How did you handle that? What did you do? 
It's interesting because it's like the simple answer to the question is yes. There's definitely been many instances of this other end of the spectrum for me, but not in the way that we're, we're talking about, I guess. The best example, I guess, and it's happened a few times in major companies, it is it's when you're an artist and you're working under an artist, you have to become really good at switching off what you need and listening to the needs of someone else artistically. So, you know, we were saying before about how, you know, I, when I'm looking at something like a movie or a play or a theater piece or dance, I'm really clear about what I like and what I don't like. You have to become really good at silencing your needs and wants to be able to work under an artist or a choreographer that has a different aesthetic to you. And, you know, in my early years as a dancer, it was fine. I was happy to go along with the job and be, you know, do the job and, and create material for a choreographer and, you know, have my material be featured on stage under their name. Mm-hmm. That was never an issue for me when I was young. But the older that I that I got and the more experience I received, but also the, the, the artistic processes that I observed or the creative processes, seeing the different styles of choreography in the companies that I've worked for, seeing the amount of time and effort that goes into things, it made me understand my boundaries and what I was willing to give and what I wasn't willing to give. And if anything, it wasn't me being silenced. I guess it was me allowing myself to only do as much as they would want and nothing more, if that makes sense. Um, because the self-expression was being taken advantage of. Because, yeah, when you're working in a company and, and, and say, for example, the choreographer is a task-based choreographer. So he, they set an exercise for you and leave the studio, you make material, then they put it on stage. Like, it's like, you know, when you're an artist, there's only so much of that you can do, especially when the choreographer is saying to you, actually, let's take out all of this part and let's use all the good parts. You know, it's like those kinds of things are cool. Like you can forgive it for the most part, but it, it starts to wear at you when you're really investigating your own practice and you're starting to refine your language as an artist. So people never silence me because I've, I've always been very good at speaking up for myself, but I became very aware, especially in my last few years in my last company, of the line that I was willing to go to, you know, to do my job, but also protect myself so that I wasn't giving my best ideas, you know, I wasn't being left with a task and and putting all of my heart and soul into something that somebody else was going to claim and take for themselves, if that makes sense. I hear the lateral leadership thing. I hear like you, you kind of get drained of everything of all the value, everything you can offer. Like let's, let's drain the artist of everything they can provide. Okay, now that we've gotten everything we need, cool. I'm gonna smack my name on it as the director, choreographer, or whatever. I'm gonna get credit for it. And then you leave. And, you know, and that's probably fine if like lateral leadership and we're all in the same plane and we're all working towards the same thing as equals. But if it's, I'm an underling and, you know, you're the grand coordinator here and you get all the credit, I can understand the impulse to be like, eh. Like, yeah, it's like it's just limit. It's more limitations rather than like silencing. It's just like being aware of your boundaries in those spaces. And the reason why I say this, and let me give this example so that it puts context into it. You know, there's been a couple of artists that have worked for one of the companies that I used to work for. And she, like this particular artist, she was an elite dancer, one of the best in the world. She was also one of the muses to the choreographer that I've, worked for when she left the company when she started making work people weren't taking her seriously because they said "Hmm, that work looks really like Australian dance theater and you run the risk of 
when you're in a company that is task-based, giving all your good shit, your artistic perspective, your style, everything to a person that, you know, that's going to slap their name onto it. So that when you leave that space to go and continue a career that should be yours, you can't make work because it's too similar to the things that you've been making under this umbrella of an institution. So it's like, you know, I've always been really good at observing and reading situations and knowing, you know, taking those examples and going, there's no way I'm going to, you know, give all of my everything to this artist who is just going to, you know, claim my work because I, it's my work, you know, as much as we can share, it's not my, like the job description says dancer, not choreographer. Mm. <laughs> I will, you know, I will participate in your task and absolutely give you some material and it'll be great material, but that's not going to be my material that I'm going to then take away and create my work on. So I don't know. It's a business person in me where I just go, you know, for clarity, for safety, for myself, there has to be limitations. And unfortunately it means that the working environment for myself isn't as, um, enjoyable because I don't yeah. get to exercise my full capacity yeah. creatively. You're not fully engaged. Yeah, absolutely. So it just means that you have to limit yourself and limit your expression. So that's probably the opposite end of this, the spectrum for me in terms of the absolute bottom of the barrel where I've experienced just going, why am I in this job? It's mm. definitely not for the money. <laughs> like if it was about mm. the money, I would go and work at McDonald's because like, it'd be way more fun and I'd be happier. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'd be manning that deep fryer, working those fries like a happy motherfucker. But yeah. 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 I guess th- those are the two two examples. Right. I hear uh, the, the word throttle, where like you throttle your own self-expression when you're uh, working for somebody else because you realize if you give everything, you don't get anything back from it really, right? Um, yes, if self-expression is the goal, then that's kind of the thing you're chasing, right? Is how can I be more and more free? Overall, how do you feel? Like you feel good? You feel happier? You feel like more in control of your destiny? Like how do you describe it? Yeah, I don't know. Like free- freedom and expression, it's just, I guess it, it is. It's it's the main thing in terms of my the way I'm living my life. And, you know, working for people is cute, but I'd rather be my own boss. It's just where I'm at. Where, where I'm at now is just uh, is where I want to be, you know, in comparison. That's what I was just saying before. Like when I was younger, it was so easy to just go, oh my God, we get to tour. This is cool. We're performing here. That's great. Whereas like now I want to be in, I want to be the one that's touring people, you know, <laughs> like which I am and the one that's in control of how my work is seen and how it's produced and sold and marketed so and it's not even about a control thing but it's just more i'm the one that's leading the conversation as opposed to you know making the work but being right on the bottom of the pyramid where you know i'm whispering on the bottom of the pyramid and the person on the top of the pyramid is so loud that no one else can hear anything else so yeah it's just really like flattening that pyramid and creating a level playing field for people that work with me and actually valuing collaborating you know, learning, which is so exciting because, you know, the, the thing about being a leader is your ability to learn, but also your uh, the ability to serve, you know, and whether it's yourself that you're serving or others, it's really seen in your work and your work speaks for itself. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, re- I'm where I want to be. I'm happy. I'm excited, really, really excited and happy. I read recently, if serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. I thought, oh, that puts it really simply. Totally. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, can you just give us like two minutes on Black Grace? You know, what's the, what's it like working for Black Grace? Because I think it's a company kind of unto itself in terms of how they work. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Black Race Dance Company is lead, uh, New Zealand's leading contemporary or Pacific contemporary dance company. Um, they've been operating for about 27 years, I believe. The company is known for extreme athleticism and physicality. Yeah, just walk us through like the weekly schedule because you, you told me about it before. I just want to... Oh my gosh, I don't even remember. It's, it's been so long ago now that I don't even remember. But we would... It's Monday to Friday, 9 to 6 every day. And you do a morning class for two hours every day, which... Um, it's usually a contemporary or a ballet class. Um, and then rehearsals is like, we would rehearse, say for example, it's a one hour show that we're, or two hour show that we're touring. You know, we rehearse running the work at least four to five times a day. You know, there's buckets of sweat, piss, and probably shit if you're, if you're, cause it, like, it's just. Everything's coming up. The kind of conditioning that we do in that company is super military style. You know, before CrossFit was a thing, we were doing CrossFit yeah. on steroids. Like it was completely, absolutely, just absolute bullshit, to be honest. <laughs> super fun, but definitely you work, work really, really, really hard. And yeah, I don't know, like it's, it's known for extreme athleticism and just yeah. sheer physicality. That's why we were all built like brick shit houses and looked like big rugby players on stage. Yeah. So the pieces are really physical in that they're basically full out cardio for 45 minutes straight. Right. Yeah. And like plyometric cardio. So it's yeah. like explosive sheer, like high intensity, not even interval training. It's just like high intensity go. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I was, I was happy that I did that when I was 16 to 21. Cause I've, if, if a director told me to jump now, I'm just like, you do it. <laughs> yeah. You jump. Um, <laughs> I think you told me that one day a week, you would train and instead of class, it was just a workout. No, we did that every day after class. So we do full class and then there was always conditioning. And so it was either muscle and bone, which is, um, it was sort of like a style of conditioning that was made by a guy called Michael Parmenter based on his Bruto training. And so it was all of this freaking military crawling, bear crawling kind of crazy stuff that, that, that you do now in CrossFit. Like we do it for like an hour and a half and then, you know, there's partnering training, which is when you're just like lifting each other across the room, throwing each other across the room and all the kind of relay trainings. We used to, even used to do like once a week, we'd do up, up the hill. So we'd do hill sprints and like relays mm. and complete, absolute, stupid, freaking crazy. Yeah, just crazy bullshit. <laughs> yeah. 80% of the people listening, and maybe it's even higher, uh, just went, no, no thanks, pass. <laughs> Like, certainly, certainly the, the ballet dancers. I can't, I can't imagine you come into like a ballet studio and everybody's like chilling with their leg up on the bar and they're like, today we're going to go outside. We're going to do hill sprints and then we're going to do 45 minutes of CrossFit and then we're going to rehearse. And the dancers would all just be like, what? What? So. Oh my God. Like, well, that, as I said, like now if, some, if a director told me to do that now, I'd look him straight in his eyes and be like, you do it. <laughs> I'm a diva. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing it anymore. But at 16, you were like, all right, let's do it. I guess this is normal. I loved it. I was so competitive and I was such a little brat. So I loved beating everybody. <laughs> yeah, if we were in the company together and he came yeah, in we and said, we're doing that, I would look at you and be like, I'm going to run faster than you. And then you'd be like, no, you're not. And then we would, uh, <laughs> and then we would do it. <laughs> I'm getting old. I just like, all I want to do is just like, you know, I'm just presents. <laughs> That's all yeah. I want to give. I just want to give presents on stage now. Just, I've done my time. <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. Well, I've seen. I say that, but I still, I still throw myself around the stage like an idiot. Yeah. I've, I've seen you do some, some crazy stuff with, with Queen Kong. Mm -hmm. I know you're still moving around. Mm. Um, okay. Well, 
for those of people who want to get in touch with you or follow your career, uh, you've got a bunch of stuff going on at all times. They can find you on Instagram. Yeah, so to, uh, Instagram, my boy page is Thomas Charles Fanua. And then there's Queen Kong Official, which is my drag queen page on Instagram. And you also have a podcast? Yes. So I run a podcast. Um, my co-host, Peter Ann Louth, um, who's based in Adelaide, South Australia. Um, and the name of the podcast is The Safe House or Safe The House. House. Yeah. And I'll put links into to all of this stuff. I think your podcast is great. I love the conversations you're having. It's about... How would you describe the podcast? Well, it's basically like it's it's um, essentially the work that I've been doing with my the House of Kong. Like we're we're creating a safe space for queer and feminist conversations, and we really unpack lots of huge topics, you know. And we have guests that come on board who are both artists and leaders, and we just speak around um, things that are super important politically. Um, what we go through in the art sector, you know, leadership, which is a huge thing that I'm passionate about. So we discuss all of these these big, big subjects and, you know, like try to offer space for people to, you know, um, not only hear our perspective, but just attach their own thoughts and um, feelings on what we um, are looking at. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love the show. Um, I think you're both really honest and vulnerable. It's great. Uh, is there anything else you've got going on? You have shows happening right now. You're, you're, yes, you're, you're, you're just premiering a show right now, yeah? Yeah, so like I, we're pretty lucky. We're doing a bit of a tour through Australia at the moment. So we're in Melbourne at the moment and we are doing a show called Church, which opens open tonight and runs till Monday. Um, we're part of the Boy Festival, which is a First Nations Australian um, festival here in Melbourne as well. Um, we were premiering a work called Bread, which is looking at uh, the ideas of tokenism, exoticism, um, but using four artistic savages and one token white ally. So it's really such a exciting work that I'm actually really excited to be a part of and right. yeah so um lots of exciting things that are happening lots of art that's being made um lots of drag lots of beautiful fun things that i'm enjoying so yeah definitely hit me up on my social media mm-hmm. absolutely uh i can just say if you ever need a token white guy i can volunteer um, yes absolutely i can't wait for you to come to australia when covid stops being a bitch <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely uh thank you so much always a pleasure to speak to you Thanks, Boo. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We'll check in. Amazing. Yeah, I'll touch base. Okay. Do you have a sense of belonging anywhere? Dance. Just dance. Dance.